Growing Old is No Joke. That's the title of our study today on Search for Truth Radio with your Bible teacher Brian Johnston. It's a title with which I would fully agree, considering that I suffer many of the aches and pains which are brought to someone who will be 78 this year. Remember, our studies are taken in Ecclesiastes, that strange book in the Bible's Old Testament. The final chapter we're about to study with Brian pictures many of the maladies which afflict us as we age, but it ends with a warning that for all of us, when this life is ended, aches and pains or not, God will bring every act of ours to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. So here's Brian. Thanks, John. The Bible professor sums up and presents his research findings with a call to remember. Before we get into what he says, I'd like us to remember some often quoted words of Jesus Christ. We're going to discover they deliver the same message as that of the Old Testament professor in the perhaps somewhat disconcerting book of Ecclesiastes. These are the words recorded in Matthew chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap Jesus in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful, and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Wait a moment, if I could just interrupt there. That's a lot of build-up, a whole lot of flattery. If what comes next seems like a simple question, we can be sure it's not. It's a loaded question, coming on the heels of some plotting as to how Jesus could be trapped in his speech. I once heard a speaker say that to give the right answer to a wrong question is in fact the wrong answer. The better strategy is to discern and even expose the subtlety in the questioner's mind, or it may just be confusion. But first, what was the question that Jesus was asked? Here it comes. Tell us then, they said, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It was a straightforward question, if it had come from honest hearts. But it had not. A trap was sprung in that question. If Jesus had said yes, then Jewish purists would have accused him of moral compromise with the power of Rome, the power that was oppressing the nation of Israel at that time. However, if Jesus had said no, then they would have reason to hand him over to the Roman authorities for non-compliance. Jesus gave neither answer. In perfect wisdom, he saw through their deceit and he asked to be shown a coin. Whose image is on it? He asked. Caesar's, they replied. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, before adding, and give to God what belongs to God. That silenced them. But what if they had asked, as they might well have done, had they been even a little sincere, what is it that belongs to God? I tend to agree with the person who suggested that Jesus may then have said, whose image is on you? Allow me to explain the force of that. For earlier in our studies in Ecclesiastes, we've heard the professor there say that God made humanity with perfect integrity or upright, as in God's own image and likeness. 
and with a sense of eternity in our hearts as a clue to our origins. If the coin bearing the image of Caesar belongs to Caesar, then we who are in the image of God belong to God. This is in fact the conclusion the Bible professor of the book of Ecclesiastes reaches at the end of the 12th chapter, that the whole duty of each one of us is to reverence God. But let's return to see how he finally arrives at that point. Chapter 10 of the book is for the most part a further reflection, almost as a parenthesis, on wisdom and folly, noting that wisdom has the advantage of giving success. Let me pause to note that in verse 19 it says, money is the answer to everything. You would hardly think you'd find a statement like that in the Bible. This is a classic example of the danger in taking a verse out of its context, as can cruelly be done to any politician if the recording of his speech is maliciously edited. When we understand that this Bible book has set out to demonstrate the futility of any earthbound search for ultimate meaning in life, then we can better understand why that verse is there. Those who deny God may at times think money is the answer to life's problems, but it isn't. After that, chapters 11 and 12 reach a positive conclusion concerning all the morally ambiguous happenings that have been reviewed. They begin by hinting at the need to invest in the future. We are to refuse to live just for today and instead invest in the future. That's the early part of chapter 11. There's also the advice to live gratefully and joyfully with whatever gifts we have received. This culminates in a whole-of-life review. That's a very valuable thing. Today, it's as if society is tempting us to buy into the image of trying to stay forever young, as Bob Dylan coined it. Think of all the products for hair colour and regeneration, creams for young-looking skin, supplements to bring back youthful vitality, and so on. Celebrities are paraded before us with age-defying makeup that creates the illusion we can all go on and on looking great. It's an illusion, of course, but so popular among people who don't believe in any future life. Why wouldn't they try to hold on to the best years of this life? With all this in view, the closing words of chapter 11 are a dose of sanity. Here they are. Indeed, if a man should live many years... Let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. So remove grief and anger from your heart, and put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Following on from that, chapter 12, the last chapter, is about counselling us to be godly from youth, knowing that God brings everything into judgment. Before we hear from the professor for the last time, we're going to hear him say, remember. It's as well to be aware that to remember God is not simply to recall the bare fact of his existence, but it's about acknowledging our need to abandon our presumed independence of God and to give God his rightful place. For only then can things begin to make any sense. God alone sees and gives the complete picture. Now, contrary to the forever young illusion that we've mentioned, there now follows, right at the end of this intriguing book, 
a most poetic, realistic and potentially humorous account of the effects of getting older. Here is the opening of chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim. Let's comment on that, because as we age, there can develop a tendency for certain conditions in which our arms experience involuntary shaking. Often our back and lower limbs are not as ramrod straight as they were before, and our grinding ones, namely our teeth, become few and perhaps the dimming of sight with cataracts is intended in that reading. But let's continue with verse 4. And the doors on the street are shut, as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Commenting again, difficulties of digestion, the tendency to be easily startled, as well as the deterioration of hearing, which explains why the daughters of song sing but softly, are now pinpointed. Now in verse 5, furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and a capperberry is ineffective, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. In old age, we tend to be more afraid of heights, and as we become less sure-footed, afraid also of being jostled in the streets. The almond tree is one that turns white with blossom, just as our hair turns white with age. And with arthritis, we become as those who hobble like the ungainly grasshopper. When I suggested humour before, I'd have to say it's a wry humour at best, for we wouldn't suggest for a moment there's anything amusing about the pain experienced by those suffering from arthritis. Now let's hear him in verse 6. Remember him, that remember God, he says, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. The silver cord there is perhaps the spinal cord, the spinal column. The golden bowl is the skull and the pitcher and wheel could be the heart and our circulatory system. I do recall these words being spoken at my father's funeral. Although the preacher's intention was to compare the picture by the well to my father's habitual nearness to his Bible and his resource in God. Now follow words even more commonly associated with funerals. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now it only remains for us to state the professor's conclusion, and here he hits bedrock when he says... The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Redeemed by his side, I shall stand.
So, what's the answer to the last verse in Brian's talk today? Can we escape God's judgment? The answer is a definite yes. For God came into this world around two millennia ago as Jesus Christ, an innocent human being. He lived a sinless life. But because the wages of sin is death, he didn't deserve to die. We did. So he took our sins, judgment and punishment upon himself and died so that we might be made righteous and acceptable to God and live with him forever. What amazing love. I hope you enjoyed this study, if you've been following the series, and if you have any questions you'd like to ask Brian, then do write in. As usual, these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. So, here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title, Does Anyone Know Why We're Here? You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info Thank you for the pleasure of your company today and taking time out to be with us. We do appreciate your interest. So next week we have the start of a new series, God willing. So why not join us to find out what it will be? So I look forward to you joining me again next time. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian our producer David, our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God indeed richly bless you. <laughs>